This is Reclaiming Jane, an Austin podcast for fans on the margins. I'm Lauren Weathers. And I'm Emily Davis-Hale. And today, we're reflecting on Northanger Abbey and giving questionable advice to a few select characters. We have reached the final episode of our six novels. Oh my god. This is this is the end of what our original concept for Reclaiming Jane was. This was born out of pandemic boredom in 2020, and look how far we've come. It all started with a text that said, hear me out. What if? <laughs> look at us now. This has been a wild three-year ride. It really has been. And almost exactly three years, like three years and two weeks Mm -hmm. as of the date of recording, not the date of release, but still. But we're delighted to be here. Yes. Thank you for coming with us on this journey. And no matter when you joined us on the path, we're glad that you're here and that you shared part of it with us because it's been really special. If this is the first episode you're listening to, then I have some questions about how you came to make that decision, but still welcome. (laughs) Thank Glad you. you're here. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Buckle up. Yeah, it's going to be a wild episode. So the the uh, book wrap up episode is traditionally the one that we do uh, a little bit tipsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tipsiness will increase throughout the episode because we're <laughs> we're being really fancy today. We're drinking scotch. So we will have something to sip on so that by the time we get to questionable advice for the characters, we can be a little looser lipped than we may have been otherwise absolutely which makes it so much more fun it really does all right well we're done with northanger abbey i know now both of us have read all six of jane austen's completed novels multiple times or just once multiple times for pride and prejudice for both of us oh yeah and i'm curious if there are any of austen's novels that you are eager to reread or would like to reread now that you've now read all six I think, I mean, aside from the fact that obviously I will continue reading Pride and Prejudice because duh, um, I think the ones I'm most eager to reread are Persuasion and Northanger Abbey. Ooh, okay. Why? Uh, They just, like, they hit me the hardest in completely different ways. Um, We talked a lot in our Persuasion finale about it being, like, the most mature of the novels, Um, but Northanger just has such a different like bubbly energy and there's so much authorial personality coming through in it it's so much fun plus Catherine morland is my daughter i have adopted her officially so i need to check in on her periodically (laughs) that is very fair yeah (laughs) no that makes sense i think persuasion i would have guessed but not necessarily northanger abbey but now hearing your explanation i don't know why i wouldn't have guessed that in the first place (laughs) right yeah i northanger was one of the ones coming in that i had no expectations about because I didn't really know anything about this book. I had heard some vague flutterings about it being like Jane Austen's gothic novel and was like, okay, what? But yeah, it like gripped me in a way I didn't expect. Persuasion spoke to like who I am now. Northanger spoke to who I was when I was 17. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Novels for different eras, I think. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that I enjoy it any less right now. And it's a gift to be able to return to books like that at different stages of your life and read them 
differently. And that was one of the things that I really loved about reading Persuasion again this time again, because the first time I read it, I was 20. And so reading it at 30 with a decade of additional life experience is a totally different experience. Yeah, I know some people who like never go back to books once they've read them once. I am an inveterate rereader. I'm currently reading a book that I've already read like three times this year. But I, especially ones that I first read when I was a teenager, I love revisiting them. Um, actually, I, I, it's probably time for me to reread 100 Years of Solitude in Lord of the Rings, mm. come to think of it. Um, so maybe my 2024 will be big rereading and I'll, I'll come back to my, my new favorite Austin novels for the first time. I like that theme. Yeah. What's the book that you read three times this year? I'm trying to remember. It's a series. Um, the first one is The Hands of the Emperor, and the second one that I'm on right now is At the Feet of the Sun. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Big old chunky fantasy novel about a bureaucrat. <laughs> Lauren's laughing so hard at me right now. I'm, I'm mostly laughing at I'm trying to remember. So you didn't just say 10 seconds ago, you read it three times this year. <laughs> I just couldn't remember the title. <laughs> I've also been very busy this week, so I just dive into the book and I don't think about what it is. That's the other benefit of rereading, I think, is that you can just dive back into it. And it's so familiar mm-hmm. that you don't need to use the extra mental energy of figuring out where the plot is going or thinking about character motivations. It's like a security blanket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely some books that I wish I could go back and have the experience of reading for the first time again. Um, but I think Northanger Abbey is going to be one of those that I will enjoy reading it again because I know what happens. Sometimes it's fun to be spoiled because you just like seeing what the journey is on the way to get there. Yeah, that's that's very true. Shall we recap our journey through Northanger Abbey? Oh, are we recapping? I'm not recapping in 30 seconds, okay. but taking a look back at what it was like to reread or read Northanger Abbey. Yeah, I want to hear first from you um, about what it was like to reread Northanger since you read it before. I will admit, it was kind of like reading it for the first time because I had forgotten most of what happened in Northanger, I won't lie. Yeah, that's totally fair. <laughs> so there were some things where I knew like the the basic beats of Northanger Abbey, that much I could remember, but the finer plot points, I had that had vanished from my brain completely. So in a lot of ways, it was like reading it for the first time again because I was rediscovering things that I had forgotten about and so much of the plot had vanished from my brain that I could kind of read it as though I was reading it for the first time because I truly, it did not really stick in my head the first time I read it. So it was funny seeing the the notes and comments that I had written in the margins the first time around because I don't remember making them. And it was interesting to see how my interpretations changed from reading it 10 years ago versus reading it now. So that was, I think, the the best part about rereading it was uh, reading it with super fresh eyes because I didn't remember much of the plot and then being able to see how I had reacted in real time a decade ago versus how I was reacting now. That was really fun. And I realized after the fact that um, I really should remember more of this plot than I did because my term paper <laughs> for the end of that class was comparing Northanger Abbey and Pride and Prejudice I think I think my title was like Perception in Northanger Abbey and Pride and Prejudice, and I really should have remembered more of Northanger than I did, but it just didn't stick. <laughs> you know, it happens. It, it was a while ago. It was a while ago, and then I had a whole master's degree after that, so I crammed a lot of literature into my brain in a very short period of time. All right, so recapping our Northanger Abbey experience. Mm-hmm. 
I think one of the first ways that we can start our recap is looking back at the different themes that we read through for this season. Um, your face tells me that you have written them down. All right. So we had 10 episodes with 10 different themes that guided our reading throughout Northanger Abbey. We began with love and then moved on to betrayal, material wealth, emotional regulation, temptation, adaptability, skill, hard work, choice, and wrapped up with anxiety. Okay. So of those 10 fantastic topics. Incredible. Which was your favorite? That's really, really hard. I think that might be harder than for previous books. Really? Because none of them like stood out as being miles above the rest, mm-hmm. where that's happened a few times in the past. Um, they were they were also fun, and I think for all of them we had textual points to pull out and and talk about. I think I'm gonna have to go with temptation. Ooh, okay. Why? So I think, I mean, like I said, Temptation doesn't necessarily like stand out above all the others, but it was such a fun topic of discussion in the context of Northanger Abbey because there's so many different avenues of temptation that Catherine faces throughout. Um, you know, there's there's the temptation of framing everything as if it were a gothic novel. There's the temptations of being in Bath. There's the temptations of the Thorpes and the Tilneys um, and just having to muddle through all of that as like a 17 year old who's never really left her home um, is a a fun thing to kind of pull on those threads. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Did you have a favorite? I think in a similar vein, my favorite was love because I think I agree that uh, I didn't know that any were head and shoulders above the rest, except for maybe anxiety, just because it is so personally relatable to both of us. <laughs> and I find it very funny that we ended our major like theme selections with a theme that personally shows up in both of our lives with an unsettling amount of regularity. <laughs> and I hit the nail on the head with that one. It was a little too pointed. It was a little too pointed. And it was a little too perfect to end on anxiety. And... So that one is tempting to choose, um, both due to recency bias and the fact that it just like personally fits us both so well. But I think love is my favorite because similar to like how you explained that temptation is so prevalent throughout the book, I think love is such a perfect theme to start Northanger Abbey with. And then also another one that permeates the entirety of the novel as well, because Catherine is the epitome of a lover girl. She just wants to love and to be in love. And there are so many different types of love that appear throughout the novel as well. So we see like different types of familial love. So both between the Tilneys, the love that Catherine experiences with her parents, whatever passes for love in the Thorpe household. I don't know what their parents are doing, but I have several questions. Well, one of them's dead, so. Point. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there's also the love between friends as well. I really enjoy what Jane Austen does with female friendships and that type of platonic love. And I love that we get to see that more with, um, with Eleanor and Catherine when Catherine, of course, thinks at first she's going to get that with Isabella, but then we see a true representation of like real platonic that turns into sisterly love with Catherine and Eleanor. So I think that is my favorite, um, both because it was a really perfect way to start off the book and because it shows up in so many different ways throughout the plot as well. 
Yeah, I think that thread of friendship might have been one of my favorites to follow through the book, especially as I'm doing a podcast with my best friend on <laughs> about Jane Austen. What? It just it was so perfect to kind of wrap this up with to see those, you know, those friends who you think are going to be your best friend, like it's quick and it's intense, and then it falls apart at the slightest suggestion because it wasn't built on a solid foundation. And then to see the person that you're like, you're kind of, you know, tiptoeing around each other a little bit. You have to kind of feel each other out for a little while. Uh, and then they end up being like one of the rocks of your world. So that was fun to see explored throughout Northanger. We really did have some great topics mm -hmm. uh, this this season. What were our historical topics that we looked at? Mm, all right. So we kicked it off with a gothic fiction because obviously that was kind of the only choice. Had to. Then also talked about the pump room in Bath, how Regency shopping worked, the concept of the dandy, dictionaries, marriage settlements, window glass, domestic servants, foreign fashion influences, and instructive texts. So many good options. Yeah. I'm going to ask you first, what was your favorite? I have to say dictionaries. Yeah? Because I'm that nerd. <laughs> Shocking. You have a Jane Austen podcast. <laughs> I know this may come as a surprise. Um, but I really, I just really love learning about language and about words. And I don't know why I had never actually stopped to think about the origins of dictionaries. Because... For my lifespan, they've just existed. You, there simply just is a dictionary because that makes sense. There would be a repository of information about words and their origins and their definitions and their pronunciations. But I've taken that for granted because why would there not be a dictionary? And I never actually stopped to think about all of the work that you would have to do to catalog the vast majority of words in a language because it is impossible to catalog all of them, but to try and create like some kind of comprehensive resource is insane. I, so I really, I really enjoyed learning about the origins of a dictionary of one specific one, and the work that went into that. I'm glad you enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. Because I I'd, I'd sort of casually, because I'm that kind of nerd, looked at, you know, dictionary histories before. Um, but it was it was fun to do a little bit of a deeper dive into it. Yeah, I think that was, that was my favorite for sure. Because um, Language nerd's gonna language nerd. I mean, Babel was my favorite book this year, so there's there's no shock that Dictionary is my favorite historical topic. If we haven't said this yet, if you haven't read Babel, go read Babel. It was so good. Unbelievably good. Five out of five stars. Emily, what was your favorite historical connection? So Dictionaries was pretty close, but I think my favorite was Window Glass. Okay. Just because I enjoy any opportunity to go and look at medieval stuff, too. Like, my... My primary, like, historical interest period, at least for, like, England, is, like, the Tudor era. Um, so, yeah, anytime I get an excuse to go and, like, pull the history from even further back and tie it to the Regency, I'm just like, yes, this is going to be it. <laughs> but also just looking at different types of crafts that get overlooked really easily when we're talking about history like this, because you just kind of get presented with like the big grand building. It's like, okay, but like, look at the stonemasons, look at the glazers, um, look at all of the people who had to do like the quarrying and the preparation and getting all of these things together. Like, that's 
you know, part of why I'm like an anthropologist at heart is because I want to look at what these everyday people are doing and not just the grand edifices. It's another thing that isn't, like you said, it's not thought of or given a lot of light and conversation. So I think that was a really cool topic to be able to bring in. And to me, it was so random. <laughs> it, it was a little random. I, but It was great. I, I remember I was like, window glass had it? Okay, cool. Great. <laughs> I had, I think I may have said this during the episode, I had already kind of been thinking that I wanted to talk about like gothic windows. Uh, and then they actually pointed it out in the section. It was like, this is my chance. I must seize it. This is my moment. <laughs> All right. So that was our jaunt through history. Mm-hmm. Now let's bring it back to the present. Would you remind us what our pop culture topics were? I would love to. Excellent segue. It's like you do this for like a hobby or something. <laughs> it's know. like I'm the one who has to edit the episodes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, we had 10 pop culture connections, shocker, for 10 episodes. So we went through the topics of internet speak, betrayals and romance, Burning Man, that was random, <laughs> um, the essay How to Be Friends with Another Woman by Roxane Gay from her book Bad Feminist, Temptation song lyrics, Skins UK, The Enchanted Movie from 2007, Main Character Syndrome, love triangles, and then we ended with Nellie and Ashanti. So I will turn it back on you. Of those 10, which pop culture connection was your favorite? I think, unsurprisingly, it's going to have to be internet speak. Just the confluence of cultural influences that had to happen to create what we know today as being internet speak, which comes from so many different places, is just, it's really fascinating to me. It's the anthropology coming through. (laughs) I did feel like I was kind of stepping a tone to Emily's territory by choosing internet speak, but it equally fascinates me, even though it's just not my level of expertise. Emily probably knows actual scholars, but I just want to have fun. (laughs) I do, but also I love that you brought up the topic. (laughs) I'm glad that you enjoyed that one. I had a feeling you would when I picked it. Absolutely. I, I kind of, you know, I'm on the one hand glad that we don't like film our recording sessions. On the other, I wish I could have seen my face when you said that. <laughs> that would have been really funny to replay. Yep. What was your favorite of those to present? I don't know. That's really hard. I think my favorite one to present may have been the Enchanted movie. Um, I was thinking about main character syndrome, but I actually don't know if I like the way that I presented it. I like the topic a lot, but I feel like I could have presented the topic itself better than I did. So I'm like, eh, I don't actually know if that one's my favorite, but I really love the movie connection to Enchanted and thinking about uh, Giselle and Catherine as two people who are heroines in a story, not the story that they think that they're in, but they're certainly heroines in a story. (laughs) And I really still love that connection and the comparison between those two characters. And it just makes me happy to think about happy-go-lucky Giselle and happy-go-lucky Catherine in conversation with one another in some way, shape, or form. So I think that's my favorite. Yeah, I like that very much. And I do very much relate to that idea of liking a topic and not necessarily liking your presentation of it. That's like not even just for the podcast, but I feel like in so many things I do, I'm just like, I enjoy going down the rabbit hole. I don't know if I like the way I talked about that. I'm nothing if not self-critical. All right, so now that we have gone through our themes, historical connections, and pop culture connections, I would love to hear 
your overall thoughts and takeaways from Northanger Abbey? I I really loved Northanger Abbey, as we've said. Um, it was such a fun book in a completely different way that, like, Emma was, which is the other fun Austen novel, I think. And I think partly it's because it does have that very youthful feel to, like, the narration. Um, you know, she lets herself go on these little tangents about novels and things like that. Um, so it was it was a very enjoyable read, um, and it also makes you think. <laughs> For me, I also I agree that Northanger is one of the other fun Austen novels, very similar to Emma. I think Catherine is kind of taught to remove some of her childlike wonder from the world, but as she's trying to be more mature in her understanding of things, it's also been reminding me to add more childlike wonder into my interpretation of things, which I am very grateful for, because I think sometimes we overcomplicate things or we get too cynical because we've been burned by adulthood and it's (laughs) many trials and tribulations. And it's nice to return to a character and to a book where the protagonist has not learned any of that yet. And you get to see the world again through the eyes of someone who just finds everything to be so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that. That was really great. Yeah, it's definitely a callback to, you know, I wasn't into gothic novels as a teen. But to to feel again, the equivalent of looking at the world through eyes that have only seen it through fiction that way, and trying to slot everything into something that you've read. And, you know, it's I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with looking at the world around and saying, wow, it's just like this story, because that is very much a way that humans process things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Catherine took it a little to the extreme because she didn't have any external experiences at that point. But yeah, just being reminded of that feeling of looking around in awe as you see things reflected that you've only known through fiction before. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of um, teenage fangirl years where you just clung on to the thing that you loved so very tightly. (laughs) I don't I don't know that I'll ever really like leave my fangirl years, but I also don't know that I'll relate to media the same way that I did as a teenager where I was using it so heavily to process the world the way that Catherine was and relating everything to, oh, this is like when this happened in XYZ, because those are your reference points, because you basically just got here on this earth and you have no real life reference points because you're like 16. (laughs) Yeah, like these days as a silly little thing, sometimes we're like, oh, I'm doing this just like this character. But I'm still very, very much aware that like, I'm doing this within my own context. Mm -hmm. As an adult with very different responsibilities from whatever fictional character I'm laying on top of myself. Sometimes you just need to pretend to be a wizard is what I'm saying. (laughs) If it gets you through the day, yeah. who was anyone to judge you? But then you go have to feed the cat and make dinner, and like you have to leave that behind at a certain point. But there's nothing wrong with slipping into that sometimes, just for the fun of it. And sometimes when you go and you need to make dinner and feed the cat, I see some people say, oh yeah, I pretend to be one of my sims, because that's how I get through my silly little household chores, is <laughs> I pretend I'm a sim in a video game, yeah. because that's the only thing that brings me enough joy to get up and go do the stupid things that I need to do around my house. Yeah, and you know... If, if pretending that it's something else brings you joy through that activity, go for it. Absolutely. We all need more joy in our lives. Just don't pretend to the point where you're accidentally accusing your friend's parent of murder or kidnapping. Oh, Catherine. Rain oh. it in before you get to that point. Yeah, yeah. 
At the end of the book, though, I do 100% stand by the Catherine Moreland is autistic argument. I think you should, as you should. Okay, good. Ooh, another question that we've not asked before, but that I think we can now that we've reached the end of the six Austin novels. Where do you rank the love interests of the six Austin novels? Oh, the love interests. The love interests, of which we have more than six because there were a couple with more than one. Very true. Obviously, um, John Thorpe is at the very bottom. Mm, As he should be. Um, Yeah, he's... Well, would he rank below Wickham? Or Willoughby? Ooh. (laughs) Recency bias, man. Ooh, ooh. Okay. I'm going to have to go bottom to top because I will be rearranging the top tiers as we go. That is fair. Um, Willoughby is at the bottom Mm -hmm. um, because he completely ruined people. (laughs) Uh, Wickham is next because he very nearly ruined people. Mm -hmm. Um, Then John Thorpe. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm also going to have to desperately try and remember people's names. Uh, Edmund Bertram next because he just... (sighs) Come on, really? Like, she could have done so much better. <laughs> she could have had Henry Crawford, who was also not great, but he was better than freaking Edmund. <laughs> the wet blanket. <laughs> Such a wet blanket. Uh, in which case, I think, yeah, Henry Crawford has to go right above Edmund uh, Bertrand. Um, and then <laughs> Dan Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Edward Ferrers, that's his name. <laughs> No, Dan Stevens. <laughs> Dan Stevens. Yeah, him next, because he was also very much a wet blanket. Um, and then people are going to be mad about this, but I think Darcy is next. Really? Yeah. Hot take? Okay. As as a love interest, taking the entirety of the novel into account, mm-hmm. because although we find out later that he's a good person, et cetera, et cetera, um, he's a dick at first. And Mr. Knightley, we know, is a good person, and he's not a dick. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, it has to go Darcy and then Knightley. I guess Tilney can go in there, because he's he's never a dick. He's just kind of, you know, like, he's... I don't want to accuse him of being spineless, because his father sucks. Um, so I, I think Tilney can go in there, because he's, he's a nice young man. Mm-hmm. And then I think Wentworth tops the charts. It's a good ranking. Thanks. It's going to be controversial, I know. Do I need to turn it back around on you? You can. All right, Lauren, What's how would you rank all the love interests? Or as many as you can remember, because I feel like there's a couple of side people in there that I forgot. This is very true. I think my bottom two are identical to yours. I think I would rank Willoughby at the bottom, because he's out here willy-nilly impregnating people and mm-hmm. just dipping. So just you need to be at the bottom of the list. Put it away and go home. Just, dude... Wrap it up. What are you doing? And then I would also put Wickham just barely above Willoughby. And for, again, the same reason, because he's just out here either attempting to or fully ruining people's lives. So you suck. I don't think I would count John Thorpe as a love interest because he's just kind of forcing himself into the romantic (laughs) conversation. But if I did, I think I would also put him as a bottom three. Um, As it is, I think... Yes, because I would do Edmund Bertram below Edward Ferrers, because both of them, like we said before, the similar kind of wet blanket. I think my rankings are going to be very similar to yours until we get to the top, because I think we can be unified in our dislike yeah, of most of these other people. There's more controversy in the top. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the people who suck just suck. They just suck. So it, from the bottom right now, it's 
Willoughby, and then Wickham, and then Edmund Bertram, and then Edward Ferrers. Um, if we're going to um, ascribe the spineless label to anyone, I think it would be Edward Ferrers. Because oh, yeah. he just lied <laughs> for like four years. And just, he never actually grows a spine to do anything about it. Everything just happens around him. He's so annoying. We read this book three years ago and we're still mad about it. It's just because, for what? Yeah, no reason. No reason. Anyway. None whatsoever. Anyway, uh, I think that I would put, I think I'd put Henry Tilney above Edward Ferrers and... To be fair, I didn't mean to rank Henry Tilney so high. I could have put him back down there, but then I would have had to go back up. So this is, this is fair. Ultimately, I probably agree with your placement of him. Yeah, he's just like he's he's, he's nice. nice. Yeah, and that's what you can say for him. He's nice. Um, he has a good knowledge of modern literature at the time. He has a good sense of fashion, and he stands up to his dad when it counts. Ish. So. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to put put him there. He's very sweet. He gives off first love vibes. Yes. Which is exactly what he is because Catherine is 17 and then you outgrow that person and you go and you fall in love with somebody else. So he's going to be also like right in the middle of the pack right there. And then above Henry Tilney, I think I would put Mr. Knightley. Uh, I like him. I like him and Emma's relationship. I, again wish that it hadn't started when he was like, I've loved you since you were 15 or yeah. 13 or whatever the age was. Can we not? Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it is not my favorite when a dynamic starts off as like one person scolding the other and like a slightly parental authority figure type yeah, that's of way. True. Um, which again is colored by me being in 2023 versus the late 18th, early 19th century, but it's still just not my favorite thing. So I'm going to put him there. And then I think above Knightley, I would then put. Now I'm getting. Now it's getting difficult. I'm also revising my rankings as we go through this. We could have a whole episode just hashing really out our could. rankings. <sighs> okay, I think I'm going to put Colonel Brandon above Knightley because I and I'm I'm torn because it could go between Colonel Brandon and Mr. Darcy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so either one of them could flip flop into that spot. I think. Um, but I'm putting Colonel Brandon there first, I think just because we get less of his personality. And there's also an age gap between him and Marianne, but it's not as problematic to me because he meets her when she's like practically an adult by Regency standards. Mm -hmm. So it's not as weird. I think even though we get less of his personality, the personality that we do see is of this very like thoughtful, introspective, just caring man. Fantastic. Love that for Marianne. You go get your emotionally mature, thoughtful, <laughs> semi-healed man. That's about as good as it's going to get. Yeah. <laughs> and that I would rank Darcy just above him, I think. Um, I think the entire point is that he is a dick at the beginning of the book. And I think like beneath that, he is a good person. But I think the point is also he becomes better. Mm-hmm. Like, and not necessarily that he was, like, a wonderful person the entire time, but, like, no, he actually did, like, legitimately... Actively changed. Actively changed, because he was kind of awful at the start of the book. So I put Darcy there, and Wentworth is my top. I, I, you can't... I have love none but you. Please. <sighs> Please! You can't beat half agony, half you hope. You can't! There's, it is impossible. Yeah. Am I forgetting anybody? I forgot Brandon, so I'm not the person to ask, evidently. <laughs> yeah, now I'm revising because, yeah, the the Darcy changing is such a good 
Now I want to just like go off on a whole rant about how like people are like, oh, he only changed because he wanted to get with this girl. No, he changed because of Elizabeth, not for Elizabeth, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I'll just, you know, I've already put my ranking out there, so I'll I'll abide by the consequences. We're preaching to the choir. (laughs) I've I've made my bed, I'll lie in it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for indulging that random off-the-cuff question, because I just realized that we can ask it with the entirety of the Austin canon behind us, and that was fun to think about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've we've ranked the love interests that we can remember. If we forgot anyone crucial, just hush. Just blame it on the scotch. (laughs) Blame it on the scotch, yeah. Um, So... I would like to know, Lauren, how your rankings of the books themselves stand. Mm. And we can start from the bottom to the top again if you want to. Okay. Because I know I was litigating with myself up until, I mean, I'm still litigating with myself about the love interests. Oh, no. This is so hard. (laughs) This is like choosing between your children. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do it. Okay. I'm so sorry. Coming in last is Mansfield Park. That was the easiest decision. (laughs) And I know that's going to upset people. but It's just my least favorite. It's not that it is a bad book. I just don't love it as much as I love the other books. It's a very good book. And it is the one that I will reread the least. Um, I think Sense and Sensibility is fifth. And again, this is hard because I really enjoy all of these books. This is not me saying like, oh, this book was bad because obviously all of them are good. We have an entire podcast dedicated to dissecting them. And I really love all these books. And I I think Sense and Sensibility would come in at number five. And then I think I would put Northanger at number four. Emma at three. Persuasion at two and Pride and Prejudice at one. And I will explain the top two. Because I think as far as like enjoyment of the novels goes, it flip-flops between those two so frequently because those are my top two like dearly held Austin novels in my heart. But I think Pride and Prejudice will edge it out to take the top one because it was my introduction to Austin. And it's also the book of hers of which I own the most copies. I think I may have six copies of Pride and Prejudice in my house. Wow. (laughs) It's really bad. (laughs) So I think um, Pride and Prejudice would edge it out as number one for the sentimental value and because it's the one that I like go back to the most. Um, But if it were the book that makes me feel most deeply, it would be Persuasion because I just love that book so much. (laughs) I did not expect this question to be so hard. Right? That's why I've been thinking about it all day. Okay. What would your ranking be? Okay. So similarly, Mansfield Park is at the bottom oops fanny fanny just (laughs) fanny doesn't compel me as a heroine and i'm not a huge fan of the story so yeah sorry but mansfield park is my least favorite sense and sensibility is also my number five um because it's it compels me less than the others as well um but i think i have to put emma next Mm, and then northanger okay because i just felt immediately such a strong connection to Catherine as a protagonist and Emma is deliciously fun. I know that I'm going to enjoy rereading it when I get back to it. But Northanger, I already am like, I need to reread this book. And then I am going to cop out a little bit and say that Tide for number one. No, you can't do that. Persuasion and Pride and No. <laughs> I have to choose. You have to choose. No. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> Tough. You introduced the ranking question. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Okay, so I've got... 
Mansfield, Sense of Sensibility, Emma, Northanger. Okay, I do think, I do think that Persuasion is the best. Mm-hmm. But as we've talked about before, I think Pride and Prejudice still has to win because it's just it it has such a weight on my heart from being the first that I had read and from just grabbing me so hard when I was like 14 or 15 or whatever. Yeah, but it's it's very close. They're they're tied except for the purposes of this ranking. <laughs> that is the answer I also would have given, but I didn't try and cop out first. I actually gave an answer. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everyone is aware. Well, with that, I think we've been through our our themes we've been through our history topics we've been through our pop culture topics we have ranked both love interests and novels shall we move on to questionable advice so yes we should give questionable advice to characters but i feel like we would be remiss if we rank love interests and we don't rank the heroines of the novels oh we should have done heroines before we did novels but too late now let's go on with heroines no worries okay fanny's at the bottom (laughs) (laughs) oh my god why (laughs) Because I don't like Fanny. <laughs> I think she's boring, and uh, she just doesn't change. Like, it's... Uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, Fanny, but boo. Continue. Um. Oh, God. Okay, this is so hard, because you have to, have to also have to think about it in the context of, like, are we talking about, like, how much do I like this character as a person, mm-hmm. or how much do I like them within the context of, like, the narrative? I think you can decide as long as you give your rationale for why you're choosing them. Oh, God. Okay. I'm not going to put the way you have to rank them on you. It would be easier if you did that. Okay, which one do you want? No, I don't have a preference. <laughs> I just need to choose one. Okay, rank them uh, according to how much you like them. According to how much I like them. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Um, Like if I had to be in a room with them. Yeah, not literary merit. Yeah, okay. Fanny, Emma. Emma would drive me up a wall immediately. That's very true. <sighs> Catherine? Because as much as I love her, I think she would annoy me. Oh, no. If I had, if I were like trapped in a room with her, if mm-hmm. we were trapped in an elevator, I think I would be like, get me out. Fair. Please. She won't stop talking about gothic novels. I can't get a word in Ed Rice. <laughs> okay. Um, then I think Lizzie, because I think she would also be obnoxious in her own way. Mm. Um very similar to the way I am, unfortunately. <laughs> so I don't think we would get along particularly well in person. Um, and then I think Anne and then Eleanor, maybe? Which is wildly different from my my like novel rankings, I know. Yeah. Okay, wait, why Anne and then Eleanor? Those are those are hard because I think that they're very similar as protagonists. Mm-hmm. They kind of defer to the people around them. Well, man, now I don't know. I think it might actually be Eleanor and then Anne. Um, because Anne, at least, is like, shit, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, re- I'm rethinking everything now. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to have to talk through my rationale for each of them and okay. then from there decide which one. Okay. Because Anne does have particular passion in reading and in reading widely. Um, and in seeking new knowledge uh, and is easily conversational on that topic. Eleanor also has her passions in music, things like that. So, okay, yeah, I think I think it would be Eleanor and then Anne would be my, my top choice. Nice. Yeah. 
Okay. That was incredibly difficult. It, yeah. I'm not really looking forward to having to answer this question. <laughs> Lauren, it's your turn. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a no-pass game. Sorry, Fanny Darling, but you're you're going to be at the bottom again. It's, it's not your fault. It is your fault. But I don't... <laughs> And I and I would like to preface this by saying I am aware that Fanny has so many merits as a character. I get it. I have also read The Defenses of Fanny. We have also been defenders of Fanny Price on this podcast. However, if we are ranking according to how much we would like the characters, which is the criteria that I gave to you, I also feel like in real life I would be frustrated by Fanny. Yeah, we have to specify in real life because yes. the amount that I enjoy these characters on the page is very different. Yes, yeah. it is. This is not like enjoying reading about them or their strengths as a literary character or how this much is, they grow within the narrative. If we were at a party with them. Who are we hanging out with? Exactly. Yes. And I'm not hanging out with Fanny. Um, Directly above Fanny, I think I would also put Emma... Because if we're putting her into a real life setting, she reminds me negatively of like the most annoying people from college. <laughs> and the I, ones who have to be the center of attention all the time. And I don't want to deal with that. So I'm putting her above Fanny. And then I think I would put, and this is now getting hard because I feel like I enjoy the rest of the characters. Um, are we also ranking Marianne in addition to Eleanor? Oh, sorry. I always forget about Marianne. <laughs> I forgot about Colonel Brandon. Like, I'm leaving her out of mind, but you can include her if you Tragic. want. Okay. I think I would actually put Eleanor above Emma. Um, just because I think, again, if it's like who we're drawn to hang out with. Actually, no, I take that back. Because I would put Marianne and Catherine at a joint ranking above Emma because I love them and they're so sweet. Now we can do joint rankings. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I, okay, I would put... Marianne and then Catherine, because both of them remind me of my students, and they are so sweet, and I want to hear everything they have to say for a short period of time, and then I need you to get out of my office so I have some peace and quiet. <laughs> so I think I would put them there, because you guys are so sweet. You're adorable. I do. I really am interested to hear your opinions on I this latest you. piece Please of poetry. Please go away. Please get out of my office. I know I said that you can come and hang out anytime, and I'm now regretting that invitation because you've been sitting here for two hours. Yeah. Like, that's that's what it reminds me of. So I think I'm going to put them. So be Fanny, and then um, Emma, and then uh, Marianne, and then Catherine, I think. And above Catherine, I would put Eleanor, I think, because we would get along, but... I think I would be finding conversation with Eleanor, and I don't like being the one to drive conversation. I do it when forced, and Eleanor would force me. <laughs> so I'm putting her there. Um, and then after that, I think I would put Anne, because um, I think Anne and I would get along for similar reasons. Like you said, she's very well read. She enjoys having intellectual conversations. That is my bread and butter. I think we'd get along like a house on fire. And then I think I have the opposite interpretation of you and in that I think Lizzie Bennett and I are similar in a way where we would get along really well. I think because it's like that rapid, quick fire wit where you like you have fun bouncing off of the other person. Mm -hmm. I think we would get along really well, but we might like flame out and get sick of one another. So we would just have to like have small doses because yeah. <laughs> but but for this one hypothetical party where right. you're just hanging out for an evening. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Perfect. Mm -hmm. 
it's like we both can't be the main character, but in our conversation, we can be. And so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. No, of course, in hindsight, I'm like, I feel like, like, to me, you're most similar to Lizzie. And you're literally my best friend. So now I'm like, I shouldn't have put Lizzie so low. But... <laughs> When you said that you didn't think that you and Lizzie would get along, I was like, hmm. Don't psychoanalyze me right now. <laughs> um, but that is my ranking. If I forgot anybody, I am blaming the scotch. I'm going to immediately redact my ranking, but I'm not going to f- worry about it now. <laughs> Fanny and Emma are still my bottom two. Yeah. But those are the easiest two to rank, I think, because mm-hmm. we would get along with them the least. That was fun. That was really hard. It was that fun. was so hard. I never want to do it again. <laughs> We don't have to. We don't have to because we're done. (laughs) All right. We've refilled our scotch. We're feeling ready to read some fictional characters, I think. Read in the sense of read them for filth. Exactly. Lauren, you traditionally take up the task of uh, compiling our list of characters to be advised. So where would you like to begin? Hmm. Let's begin with the man we all love to hate, John Thorpe. Leave. That's my advice for him. Just get out. Okay, Jojo. I don't I don't want to see you darken a doorway in this world again. Okay, so other than leave, get out right now. What is your advice for John Thorpe? Oh, he he needs to get himself together and realize that other people are people. Qua? Okay. <laughs> people, I don't understand. That doesn't compute. Because yeah. he just has he has absolutely no respect for anyone around him. Ever. He thinks that they're just going to bow to his will. Um, and that's disgusting. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would my advice to John Thorpe be? Yeah, think outside of yourself mm-hmm. for more than like half of a second. And also maybe just, I don't know, have a shred of consideration for anyone else, even your family members. He speaks of everyone as though they're just the dirt beneath his foot. And it's extremely unattractive. So if you'd like a woman to marry you who does not look at you with thinly veiled disgust every time you enter the room, maybe try practicing something like empathy, some thinking of any kind. You know John Thorpe is on pickup artist forums online. Oh, he's an Andrew Tate, bro. God, I hate him so much. He and Fanny Dashwood can just go... Uh, I don't know. Into the sun. Into the sun. <laughs> into the sun with you. Throw them into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've washed our hands of John Thorpe. Mm-hmm. Who's next? Hopefully someone who would actually take advice. Uh, okay. If we would like somebody who would actually take advice, let's uh, have a palate cleanser of Eleanor Tilney. Eleanor Tilney? Oh, I don't know if there's any advice that I can give to her. Because she's, she's such a lovely person and is kind of doing what she can with the resources at hand. Oh, what advice would I give Eleanor? Mm. Seek more outside interactions. Mm-hmm. With whom? With anyone beyond her own family. Fanny, not Fanny, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Catherine is a good start. But I feel like Eleanor needs more friends. Yeah, I agree. Eleanor definitely needs more friends. Because I feel like it's odd when Catherine gets to Bath and she has no one to socialize with, but it seems like Eleanor isn't socializing with anyone until Catherine enters her orbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like with Catherine, it makes sense because she's just kind of the temporary ward of these people and doesn't know anyone and is not in society like that. But Eleanor very much is. Where are her friends? 
I wonder if it's that General Tilney didn't deem anyone good enough to be her friend. That seems very likely, considering the way he reacted to Catherine. Mm-hmm. And then he hears the inflated notions of Catherine's wealth and is saying, oh, sure, this one you can be friends with. The rest of them cannot darken my doorstep. Mm-hmm. I hope her marriage to this lovely man affords her a little more freedom to socialize with people that she likes, maybe? We'll see. I guess we won't see. <laughs> the book is done. Jane Austen's we been, can imagine. Jane Austen's been dead for 200 years. We might not get a follow-up on that one. Moldering in the ground. Oh, this does become a very different podcast when we're drunk. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. All right. Eleanor, not so much advice, but a wish for you to make more friends. Yeah, I think my advice would be, I know I know what I want it to be, and I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate it, maybe to trust Catherine more. Uh, and I was specifically thinking of the beginning of the novel when Catherine is trying to explain that she really was trying to wait for the Tilneys to come and pick her up, and she was stolen away by the Thorps. <laughs> <laughs> but I also completely understood Eleanor's caution there. I I, to- I totally get it. And I think maybe then my advice would be assume that Catherine has the best intentions. Maybe not trust everyone, but you can trust in Catherine because she is but a sweet baby and she has no ill will towards you. <laughs> All right. So we've advised John Thorpe, mm-hmm. Boo, and Eleanor Tilney. Mm-hmm. Who do we take on next? I'm bouncing back to the Thorpes and saying Isabella. Similar advice to her brother, what we worked around to. Isabella doesn't necessarily need to leave immediately, but she also needs to think about other people beyond herself. Because Catherine isn't an accessory. Mm -mm. Your friends are not just someone to sit on your arm and help you socialize and enhance your status. They're real people with real feelings, and you can't just play around with them. I would second that, and I would also say sometimes the most attractive men are the most dangerous ones. <laughs> no kidding. Be careful of a pretty face. Just because he's pretty and he's being nice to you doesn't mean that he will remain nice to you. What is the substance underneath? It also doesn't mean that he'll remain pretty, because some people just really age like milk, but that's neither here nor there. Not everyone can be a Sir Walter Elliot. Not everyone can be a Sir Walter Elliot admiring himself in the mirror after decades. You know, some people just aren't that lucky. But the main the main point is not that there is a possibility that... <laughs> that was tangential to the point. <laughs> that's, uh, that's tangential. The main point is that... I think Isabella needs the girl's girl advice of do not ditch your friends for a man who does not care about you. Girls support girls. Girls support girls. Hoes before bros. Hoes before bros, man. And you broke that rule and you face the consequences. Does she not know girl code? Clearly not. But this is is sometimes how we learn the hard way Mm -hmm. that not every man is actually the love interest of your life. Sometimes you do find the ones who are kind to you and it's out of a true kindness and not out of an ulterior motive but you have to kiss a few frogs to find the prince sometimes and Mm. you unfortunately kissed a frog he's not the love of your life hit him with your car he's literally just a guy (laughs) hit him with your car all right all right so we have the two thorpe siblings Mm -hmm. we have eleanor tilney down Mm -hmm. who's up next henry tilney of course henry tilney 
stand up to your father more because he can clearly see what General Tilney is like and clearly is avoiding him except for Eleanor's sake. So as we have told many, many love interests in the past, grow a spine. You're literally the middle son. What do you have to lose? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> not Northanger. It's not going to you anyway. <laughs> You've got a job. Like, your sister will clearly find a way to keep corresponding with you regardless. So, yeah, stand up to him. Come on. Be the terror middle child that you were born to be. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Come on, Henry. We believe in you. Be rebellious. Yes. Break the rules. But also be good to Catherine. Yeah, only be rebellious when it comes to her. What would my advice to Henry be? Oh, can you actually pay attention to the people for whom you're supposed to be their priest? Oh my god, seriously, you have a job. Do your job. <laughs> you have a job. You have one job. <laughs> and you're supposed to be a man of God. Yeah. He's always at Northanger. Like, come on. Tend to your flock, Henry. What invite are you doing? Your, invite your sister to come and stay with you. And then, like, yeah. <laughs> I think they, there's a difference between being an Edmund Bertram and a Henry Tilney. Like, don't go the Edmund route. But you could you could pay a bit more attention to the living that you have. A little just bit. Just a bit. Yeah. Just a tad. Just just a tad. A skosh. <laughs> because unlike Mary Crawford, you know, Catherine's going to love you regardless. Yeah. She <laughs> fully supports you. She fully supports you. She's not going to be upset that you don't want to ditch your living and <laughs> go do... A profession that she finds more respectable. She's just happy to be here. So you can actually pay attention to your flock. It's going to be fine. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> they're, look, they're looking to you to be some kind of a role model. Can you like go be the role model? I don't know why, because you're like a 25-year-old man who knows nothing. But I know. NBD, it's fine. <laughs> okay. I have one more character, but is there anybody else who you would like to give advice to? Yeah, I'd tell the general to shut up. I was going to ask if you wanted to include General Tilly. Just, just stop talking. Leave your children be. They have good heads on their shoulders, despite you. So just stop. Yeah. I'm wondering what his background is. If he's in the army, he may have had like some kind of a, a come up through the rankings of the army in some way, shape, or form, even if he didn't have like a drastic change of material wealth. But I still feel like he had a little bit of elevation through serving in the military. And so I would simply say, uh, don't forget wherever it is that you came from. Mm -hmm. Because as quickly as you can earn wealth, it can be taken away. And fixating so strongly on that to the exclusion of all else is not a way to live a well-fulfilled life and is bound to disappoint you, or at the very least, estrange you from your children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has such a, such a fixation on the material wealth, and forgets that he also has, you know, a family around him, mm -hmm. and could have friends, presumably, if he wanted. It's like the study that says after a certain dollar amount, making more money doesn't actually make you happier. Mm -hmm. And he's intent on hyper-focusing on the quality of the napkins at his table and all the renovations he's done to his house and the things he's able to do. Which also kind of, well, I don't know, it simultaneously suggests that he could have come from a lower station and been elevated to this kind of wealth, or that he had this kind of wealth all along and wants everyone to know it. So mm -hmm. it could go either way. I, don't, I feel like being very showy is new money. Mm. 
it's that like money talks, wealth whispers type of thing. If mm-hmm. you grew up with this and you're used to it, you're not hyper fixated on making sure everyone knows how expensive it was. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even if he did grow up at this level, he was probably very aware that his family was not always at that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I think he's focusing on wealth so much that he's not enjoying it. Yeah, he definitely doesn't seem to be enjoying it. Mm-mm. So I think that would be my advice to actually live your life instead of focusing on the dollar amount that you can attach to it. Mm-hmm. You seem miserable. <laughs> yeah. He just doesn't seem like a happy guy. Like, aside no. from the fact that his wife is dead. Well. Like, <laughs> that's another issue. That's a whole other thing entirely. Yeah, we're not going to get into that. All right. You said before we had our, our aside into General Tilney that there was only one ca- a character left, which I can only assume is Catherine. Uh, sweet baby Catherine. Sweet Who else? Sweet baby Catherine. She just... Really, she just needs to grow up. She's only 17. She just needs to learn that you can't, exactly what we were saying before, you can't frame everything through the lens of your favorite piece of fiction. Like, you're gonna have to enter the real world at a certain point. And it's okay to still cling to that fiction. God knows I still do. But you have to recognize that the people around you are real people. And the things happening around you are not part of a tidy little plot line. They're just events that happen in the world. Yeah. She'll learn eventually. Yeah. This feels extremely ironic, given that she's literally a character in a book. However. Stop reading your life like it's a book. (laughs) I think usually advice that I like to give to people is trust your instincts, but Catherine's instincts are terrible girl does not have instincts she has none (laughs) so i can't give the (laughs) advice of like oh listen to your intuition because her intuition is steering her wrong (laughs) her intuition is there's something mysterious in this castle (laughs) her intuition is entirely formed on gothic novels (laughs) it's bad it's really bad um don't trust your intuition think about it a little bit i think Actually, yeah. Now, so I mentioned earlier that the term paper I wrote was about Northanger Abbey and Pride and Prejudice, and it was perception in Northanger Abbey and Pride and Prejudice and how we're meant to trust reason in addition to our intuition. So I think my advice to Catherine would be to introduce a little bit more reason into your life in addition to acting based off of intuition and feeling. Because intuition alone, not really helping you. Mm. Intuition alone also didn't really help Elizabeth Bennet. Both of them had to use some kind of reason. And now I'm rediscovering the argument I made when I was 20. (laughs) Good job. It was clearly a very good argument. Uh, uh, Good enough that I forgot half the plot of Northanger Abbey, but I remember... That thesis, <laughs> even though I have not looked at that paper in God knows how long. Yeah, I mean, we even see Catherine in the novel override her own reason when she fabricates this story about General Tilney either murdering or hiding his wife because she has those thoughts that, like, that's not reasonable. And then she leans into it anyway. Listen to the reason. Yeah, please. The love of all that's good and holy. Gut feelings can be very valuable, but sometimes they're incorrect. That wasn't even a gut feeling. That was her explicitly being like, oh, but what if this was a gothic novel? Like, look where I am. That was very much a fancy. Yeah. Oh, Oh, honey. Oh, Catherine. I love you so much. Please get your shit together. Sweet angel baby child. Sweet baby. Those are all the characters I wrote down for us to give advice to. I think that brings us to our final, final takeaways. I think it does. Lauren, what is your final, final takeaway from Northanger Abbey? 
I think my takeaway, and this is a similar thing that I've said before, where it's not necessarily the lesson that the book is trying to teach me, but the emotional lesson or the personal takeaway that I will bring from it, which is the entire point anyway. I just feel like I need to clarify that. But it's to seek out more joy and adventure in my life. Because I think even as Catherine is kind of like making a mess of her entire life by overindulging in joy and adventure, reading her also reminds me how to look at the world with like a kind of childlike wonder and just to find joy in things. And sometimes in moderation, it's fun to make a mystery out of the mundane. And so I think my takeaway is that I want to do that more often and like finding joy and theatricality and really just mundane things in my life. I really love that. Thank you. That's so nice. (laughs) What is your final takeaway? I think my final takeaway is on paying attention to the people around you and what their intentions are towards you and towards other people in their surroundings. Because, you know, we saw that vast difference between the Thorps and the Tilneys. Just, yeah, keep an eye out for the Thorps and maybe avoid them. Know who the Thorps are in your life and Mm. go find the Tilneys. Definitely. I like it. Oh, good. So that, that wraps up Northanger Abbey for us. Which means, if you have been with us for this entire ride, you know that coming up next is our favorite Six Degrees of Jane Austen segment. I can't wait to do this. So as usual... Leave your suggestions of wild topics uh, in the comments of whatever social media we post for this episode. We are on X, aka Twitter. We are on Instagram and we are on Facebook. Find us on your social media platform of choice and let us know what you want us to talk about. Yeah, so those suggestions will be open for a couple of days and then we will compile them and throw them out to our patrons to vote on. So if you want to be involved in choosing which topics we have to connect to Jane Austen, go ahead and join our Patreon. You get to choose our misery. (laughs) You get to choose whatever the top six choices are. Those are what we will have to connect to Jane Austen in some way or another in the next episode. And in our Six Degrees of Jane Austen episode, we will also share more about what our plans are for post-six novels of Jane Austen. And you will just have to stay tuned to find out more. But thank you so much for joining us, not just for Northanger Abbey, but for all the previous five novels. It has been a delight to read so many of them for the first time for me, but to share this experience with all of you has been truly unique and an excellent experience. I'm just very happy and grateful and thankful that you all have joined us for this ride for, as we said before, either just this one episode or for all of the episodes we've released. Hopefully not this one episode, because that would be really weird for you guys. You know, maybe they just found us on a whim and they heard one of the most entertaining Jane Austen Northanger Abbey recaps they've ever heard. And now they're hooked. You know, who knows? We did talk about all of the novels. (laughs) This is a great encapsulation of Reclaiming Jane. It's not. Please go listen to the rest of the episodes. (laughs) Please. (laughs) We do more things. Very sober. (laughs) (laughs) But for now, we'll go ahead and sign off on this, and we'll see you for Six Degrees and hopefully some news in the next episode.
Thank you for joining us in this episode of Reclaiming Jane. Next time, we'll be connecting your outlandish topics to Jane Austen in our Six Degrees of Jane Austen segment. To read our show notes and a transcript of this episode, check out our website, reclaimingjanepod.com. You can also find the full back catalog and links to our social media. If you'd like to support us and gain access to exclusive content, you can join our Patreon at Reclaiming Jane Pod. Reclaiming Jane is produced and co-hosted by Lauren Weathers and Emily Davis-Hale. Our music is by Latasha Bundy and our show art is by Emily Davis-Hale. See you next time, nerds. Yeah, when you're reading that many books, it makes sense that some of them fall through the cracks. Yeah. At a certain point, I think it was like five books a week or something like that. Wow. It was a lot. I don't recommend doing a master's degree in a year. It was it was hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't even have a literature degree and still I'll pick up a book sometimes and get a few pages in or a few chapters in sometimes be like, have I read this before? I think I've read this. <laughs> Wait a second. There's there was at least one time and I cannot remember now what the book was. I got like halfway through before I was like, these plot points are really familiar. I think I actually read this as a teenager. <laughs> Been there. Yep, it happens. <laughs>